And Mary said, With all that is in me, I declare the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for God has seen how I've been humiliated. But hear this. From now on, people will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is God's name. God's mercy is with those in each generation who live their lives in step with God. God has shown God's power by scattering those who are proud in their hearts. God has deposed the rulers from their thrones and has instead lifted up those who are lower in society. Everyone who is hungry, God has filled with good food, and God has sent the rich away empty. God has taken hold of God's beloved child, Israel, remembering to be merciful, just as God promised to our ancestors, such as Abraham, that God would be. Thank you. Well, I heard Christian already gave away, if you were here at the beginning, one of the things that Andy and I do every Christmas. Uh, Andy Garbers and I are married to one another, and every year we have a tradition in the season of Advent and Christmas expectation in which we watch a series of Christmas movies. Anybody else? Yeah. Christmas favorites? Anybody? Anybody? Uh, yeah, I see some hands in there. So we have like five or six that we watch every year. It includes Four Christmases, uh, Love Actually, White Christmas, um, the Christmas Vacation, that's from Andy Garbers. I still don't understand it. Um, and something else. Oh, 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 The Holiday. Those are the ones we for sure watch every year. And I know you have, for those of you who do, you have your own rhythms and traditions and one that, ones that you watch. Well, <clears throat> I pulled up Hulu the other day. Um, and was really surprised to discover that it was 20 years ago that Love Actually was first released as a film. And Diane Sawyer did an interview of, the, of some of the cast in which she was talking to them about stuff, and 20 years later asked them the question that you were asked at the beginning of today, which is, Love Actually is all around. Love Actually is the heart of everything. How would you fill it in? Love actually is. Love actually was a film in many ways that was unique for its time. It was the first film in which you had multiple storylines that were intersecting in that sort of way. The director and writer of the film wanted to uplift the mundane to remind folks that in the midst of a world in which, even though there have only been a handful of serial killers, we have all these movies about serial killers. And he's like, yet everyone experiences love and wanted to tell a story about that incredibly human experience. How love isn't particularly dignified or particularly noteworthy, but it is to us whether it's the love of a parent, a caregiver, an educator, a time when you've fallen in love and it wasn't returned. Love is the fabric of all of our lives. There's so many different, not only films, but there's songs about love. Some of you know some of them. Love L is for the way you look at me, oh, or, my endless love. Uh, how about, what's love got to do, got to do with it? 
Oh goodness, <laughs> yeah, I shouldn't have put this one down. <laughs> um, <clears throat> um, I did this on my first like karaoke experience when I was dating Andy Garber for a week. And I will always love you. I'm not Whitney Houston. Okay. Um, <laughs> right. Oh my gosh. Um, and then uh, some of you may know the film In Love, actually. The song there is um, All You Need Is Love, Love. Love is all you'll ever need. You may think of other songs. I apologize that my canon did not include anything from like the last 15 years. I don't know why. Love is something that we talk about, we care about, we think about. And so often when we talk about love, it's often, even within the church, it's a sentimental sort of thing. It's about our personal lives. It's about the love between parent and child, between spouses, between family. And we follow a God who, it says in the Bible repeatedly, that God is love, right? And, and what I wanted to talk about today is that in lighting this candle of love, that love absolutely is about the private experiences, self-love, love for those with whom we're connected, but that love is also something we live out in the public sphere. And that it's really important that we hold these things together. That love is not just a private emotion. My experience of God's love for me isn't just about Sarah. It is. But it's about Sarah participating with the God of love in the rhythms of love for the neighbor and for the world. God so loved the world it's individual, but it's collective. It's private, but it's public. It's personal and it's political. Love is actually all. It's everything. So often we have bifurcated these things though. Even within the church we'll say, oh, well I have my personal relationship with Jesus and, and that's the good news. I sure hope so. I hope like that you experience yourself as beloved by God. And the love of God is always connected to the love of neighbor, that, that Jesus and justice go together, that love is a both and and everything. Writer and theologian Cornell West has said, justice is what love looks like in public. Another version of this comes from Reinhold Niebuhr, who is an ethicist, and he wrote, in a struggle between those who enjoy inordinate privileges and those who lack the basic essentials of the good life, it is fairly clear that a religion which holds love as its final law stultifies itself if it does not support equal justice as a political and economic approximation of the ideal of love. Translation, <laughs> if we as Christ followers say that love is the bedrock of who we are and what we're about, it demands that we show up in the world 
as people who make possible livability and our neighbor's ability to know love in their own life and their own story. That's why when we come to this passage, thank you to John and Barb, from the book of Luke, and we even need to think about parenthood and, and particularly Mary and motherhood. It's often talked about in a very private, small location here. And we often live in a world, right, where the public and the private spheres get divided. Some of you may have heard about historic debates around stay-at-home moms and working moms, as if they're not both parents, and they're not, you know, both. We have these divides that we spring up and put into place throughout our world. We have people who have public lives that are profoundly disconnected from their private lives. And I'm a big believer that these things go together. I am so grateful for Josie, who's 11 months old. The journey to parenthood was long and fraught. (laughs) Didn't know if I wanted to be one because I didn't know if I could maintain public and private selves at the same time. Through my own journey and inner work, I came to believe that that was not only possible, but essential for me personally. Because I want to be a person who my private and public lives, they go together, right? That there's integration there. And for me, one of the gifts has been that I've seen ways in which at times when I fought to get a seat at the table in the public world, I've participated in ways of orienting to the private world that dismiss it too much. And I want to be a person who uplifts and says what happens in our private lives, whatever your gender, matters as much as what happens in our public lives, if not more. Who are we as people in this private sphere and how do we show up in the rest of our lives and that these are connected? And therefore, when we turn to Mary, Mary isn't just some virginal figure. Anybody, what image of Mary do you get when you hear the word Mary? Anybody get like the blue robe, the Catholic statue thing going on in your head? You know, I always think she's just like walking around like this, you know, in all the pictures. Okay. Um, There's a lot of reasons why we have that story about Mary. And a lot of it has to do with cultural norms about femininity and women and motherhood, right? Right. So even if you look at the history of translations and interpretations of this text from the book of Luke, you'll note that if you go to, the, for instance, the New International Version, it's translated, for he has been mindful, meaning God, of the humble state of his servant. Or in the NRSV, it says, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Or in the King James Version, for he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. Okay. Anytime I've read this passage from Luke and I've heard it talked about, it's, it is this vision of the virginal sort of like, oh, Thank you, dear Lord, that you would make me pregnant at 14. You know, she's lowly, she's humble. There's a whole lot more we could talk about about this passage that I'm going to shelve for a second about that. But I think a lot of that is connected to the sense of both what is motherhood, right? Motherhood's this private thing where it's all just wonderful, and which some of us know that motherhood always isn't always like that meaning either our experiences of our mothers actually might have been more complicated, and or if you are a parent who is a mother, your own experience of that might be more complicated. So this sort of perspective has come into how we translate this text. 
When you go back to the Greek, though, and you take a look at it, the Greek word here, tapeneo, um, that's translated often as the lowly, the humble state of the servant, is actually a couple notes about it. The one is that when it's utilized or when it's translated, um, it's often is this connection to, for instance, we have in Matthew eleven twenty nine 29, where it says of Jesus, take my yoke and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart. I'm humble in heart. There's translations like that that are about inner humility, the sense of how God is, another translation would be downcast, one who is downcast, one who is um, limited, one who is humbled in society, lower in society. These are some of the different translation options for this. When I take a look at it, though, in this Luke uh, version, I want to note a couple things. The one is that it's actually a noun instead of a verb, okay? So, it might be like the humiliated one or the one who is humbled. So it's, it's, it's a noun, it's not a verb, just to note that. The second thing I want to note about it is that um, the scholar, this is not from Wikipedia, but scholar Jane Sheberg notes in The Illegitimacy of Jesus, actually argues that in the Septuagint Greek, this same um, word as a verb is utilized and applied to Dina when she is raped in Genesis 34-2. Why does this matter and what am I trying to say? A couple things. The first is this. As we look at this text and the translation that we read today, I want to argue that it's um, important to consider that maybe this isn't just like this pious woman in blue who is like super humble and meek and sweet all the time. She might have been. I don't know, Mary, right? But what if instead this is naming I am one who has been humiliated? I am one who is on the margin of society. I am one who has been put down. I am one who has been overlooked. Two different possible ways then of thinking about what might have been Mary's story. The one which this scholar argues is actually she was a survivor of sexual violence. And God actually, she's turning to God in this Mary's Magnificat from Luke, saying, God, vindicate me. God, I have been humiliated. Will you come and be on my side? Another way is as a person who would have been pregnant outside of marriage, which even in our time and not that long ago, it could be a profoundly humiliating. You could lose your family. You could be an outcast in society, no less this young woman who is now in a profoundly vulnerable place saying, I have been humiliated. I have been put down. I have been um, cast out from my community. So in the passage, if you could pull up again the passage from um, Luke that was read and translated for us. Here we have, And Mary said, With all that is within me, I declare the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for God has seen how I've been humiliated. And then she turns, and she, she makes this a prophetic or oracle in which she says, no, but from now on, people will call me blessed. You've called me humiliated. You've ostracized me. You've put me over here. But God is actually going to lift me up. Holy is God's name. <laughs> like I got a vindication going on here. And then she begins this like deeply prophetic um, oracle about what God's kingdom is about. And she's like, basically, God is going to lay low the folks who think they're at the center of power, and God is going to be on the side of those who have been oppressed. This is a little bit different picture than the like, oh, I'm praying really like in my blue dress all the time, right? Not that she doesn't pray. But this sense that here is this person who is going to be giving birth to Jesus, 
who is a parent who is also profoundly concerned about what is happening out here. It's a love that is both personal and focused on the, the child that she has just birthed, but is also focused in the world out here and calling and reminding us of what God's kingdom is about. In this way, she also echoes the prophetic oracle that comes from Hannah in 1 Samuel 2, in which she likewise talks about how God is going to lift up and make things right and just. Why am I talking about this? I think this really matters for a lot of reasons. One is that the vision that we have inside of the Christian Church of Mary um, it helps to shape and form what we think about gender, about parenthood, about what it means to be Christian and holy. So I wanted to trouble that a little bit so you could think about Mary as a more robust, complex person. <laughs> to see that God's kingdom and God's good news comes from all different voices and perspectives. The second reason is this, that when we light this Advent candle of love, that we hold together that love is both the transformative force that can heal and change us personally, that Jesus becoming embodied amongst us is to remind us all of how to get home. And God being with and for us is also a profound embodiment of love that calls us to ensure that our neighbors also know this love. And that looks like ensuring our neighbors can breathe, can live, and in their own bodies can know love. Most Sunday mornings, I check the news before I come to church. Because I want to like actually <laughs> preach in view of what's going on in our world, right? Uh, I think two Sundays prior... Um, I hadn't. And we had the town hall meeting that Sunday on the 20th. And I got home and I saw that overnight that there had been a shooting at a gay club in Colorado Springs. And just I'll confess, I have felt a lot of grief and shame and regret that I didn't check my news that morning. That shooting is one of the reasons why I'm preaching and naming that love looks like private and public. That love and justice go together as we follow Jesus. Because when we lose sight of that, we can say, oh, we're about love, we love our neighbor, that doesn't get to go together with harming our neighbors, whomever they are, whatever their beliefs. That to follow this God of love and to be a people of light in our world calls us in the public and in the private to ensure that everyone can know this love. That we take up and are in solidarity with, that we care for, that we join in the way of Mary, where we both love privately and live that love out publicly. One of the songs that I thought of when I was thinking of songs about love is the song, Same Love by Macklemore. That song came out a handful of years ago, and um, it was also joined by um, Mary, Mary, interestingly. Uh, not the Mary, but a Mary who sings in the song with it. Here's just a couple of lines from that, and then I'll close in here in just a minute. 
Uh, this is Macklemore, who I'm not going to imitate. <laughs> I tried Whitney Houston, though, so, you know. Um, have you read the YouTube comments lately? Man, that's gay, gets dropped on the daily. We've become so numb to what we're saying, our culture founded from oppression. Yeah, we don't have acceptance for them. Call them F-words behind the keys of a mass message board. A word rounded in hate, yet our genre still ignores it. Gay is synonymous with the lesser. It's the same hate that caused wars from religion, gender to skin color, the complexion of your pigment. The same fight that led people to walkouts and sit-ins. It's human rights for everybody. There ain't no difference. Live on and be yourself. When I was in church, they taught me something else. If you preach hate at the service, those words aren't anointed, and that holy water that you soak in is then poisoned. When everyone else is comfortable remaining voiceless, rather than fighting for humans, they've had their rights stolen. I might not be the same, but that's not important. No freedom till we're equal. And then the, the Mary comes in and starts singing, love is patient, love is kind. Anybody know that? Love is patient, love is kind. So my invitation to all of us this Advent is let's be a people of the candle of love who light and bear witness to the God of love in Jesus, who both so loved all of us that Jesus became embodied to bring us home and then to work together to live that love and to be that love to our neighbors in all of its forms. Will you pray with me? God, in this Advent season, I pray that you would help us to see that love is, actually is all around. That these songs that we sing and the longings in our hearts would be met as the song sings in thee this night. That we might be people who, as we light these candles, that we are bringers of hope and love and peace and joy and the good news that God is love and is here amongst us. For those in this space and in our world who wonder if love actually is a force that can see or care for them, God, may we as a people learn to live love, learn to be for them, to love you and to love our neighbors as ourselves. It's in your name we pray. Amen.